like that shout. Yeah, lift your voice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know, you'll confuse, confuse your enemies doing that. I got, I got them now. I got them down. And you just keep making a joyful noise. I don't understand this. There ought to be some, some woe is me and some crying and some despair. But I just keep hearing praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to the Lord. You know, I don't get it. That's right. You don't get it. You don't get us either. God's got us. God's going to give us the victory. Amen. While you're standing this morning, one verse of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, actually two Scriptures, 7 and 8. Continuing in our series on the DNA of a disciple. We've talked about different aspects of love over the last two lessons. And today we'll continue in that, that same thought. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 and 8, verse 7 Describing the attributes of love says that love beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. Charity or love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, and whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Today we're going to talk about the endurance of love. Let's pray for the lesson. Lord, we love you and thank you today for this word. As we grow, Lord, as disciples following you, God, let that love of God, let it be shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost. Lord, let us be a reflection into this world of the love of God so people can see your goodness, feel that mercy and grace and come to a place, Lord, of repentance and find you. Lord, let us love one another. And Lord, let us remember today that you loved us first. Thank you for all these people today. Bless this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord another hand and a shout of praise this morning. What a great God. What a great God. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. So today we talk about the endurance of love. And since love, as we've been talking about through these lessons, it says love is the defining trait of a Christian disciple of Christ. It is that uh, defining characteristic. You know, the defining characteristic is not preaching. It's not even going to a church building. It's not having a card with an organization. It's not being on the roll of the local assembly. But the defining trait for the Christian faith has to be. There's no, we can't substitute it. We can't say this one's better because the greatest of these is love. Love must be the defining trait. Whatever we do, preaching, singing, teaching, outreach, discipleship, Bible studies, whatever we do, it must be done in love or it doesn't profit us anything at all. If we don't tell people about the love of God, they will never be changed. And so it doesn't profit them to just hear good singing. It doesn't profit them to just hear good preaching. It doesn't profit them to just be a member in a congregation. If what 
we are doing to reach them and uh, does not contain the love of God, it won't change them. They'll just join in and stay unchanged and be part of a group. They'll be part of a club. They'll be part of a fellowship, but they will not be part of the body because it was the love of God that sacrificed. It was the love of God that gave. It is the love of God that changes us. It is the love of God that covereth a multitude of sin. It takes the love of God. He did what he did because he loved us. Paul said he loved me and gave himself for me. That changed Paul. He was not the same anymore. He stopped being a persecutor and he began preaching the very faith that he once persecuted. It wasn't because somebody changed his mind. It was the love that he knew God had toward him because if God didn't love him, he could have just killed him. I'll just stop this persecution right here. When he knocked him down on that road, he, would, he could have just never gave him the chance to say, who are you? He could have just killed him. But instead, he loved him. He knew, he said, my, what zeal this man has. And if he just had truth, what a weapon he will be. So he just gave him the truth. Brother, I'll tell you, what a revelation Paul got that day. But it's not really any greater than the revelation that we get when we realize that love uh, has endured us. You know, it was the love of God that endured Paul. It let him keep doing what he was doing, even though he was wrong. Because he said, I'm going to get a chance to change him. And it was the love of God that endured us while we were in our wrong. Because he said, one day I'm going to get a chance to change him. I'm thankful that love endures all things. Well, that, that went over real good. Hey, whether you believe it or not, Oh, I'm so good. Everybody wants to be around me. Well, you know what? The Lord endured us. <laughs> he, he endured our foolishness. He endured our rebellion. He endured our disobedience. He endured us uh, turning our backs. He endured us not listening, not, not walking, not obeying. He, he endured all of that. He endured our silliness, our foolishness, all of our antics because he knew one day I'm going to offer them something. One day it's going to change. One day something's going to happen. Love will endure every single circumstance. The greatest, I guess, example of the endurance of the love of God, it took place between heaven and earth. It took place on that cross where Jesus hung. Just a few days or maybe even hours before that, Jesus made a statement, and I... If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. They're going to see the most, uh, the greatest, most grim display of love ever seen in action. They would see Jesus come to this gruesome death that he had just described. If I be lifted up, meaning if they nail me to that cross like it's, like it's in the plan to be. He, he knew what was coming. He said, if it happens then it will draw all men unto me. It was the death of humiliation. It was painful. It was, uh, he felt betrayal. It was unfair, and it was full of physical and emotional horror. No one had ever went through. They didn't do these other guys that they crucified like they did him. Nobody else is wearing a crown of thorns that day. 
Nobody else is being mocked and punched and kicked up the hill like he was. This was all for him. There was a songwriter who wrote one song, and he said this about that day that Jesus went to the cross, that he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders. It was his love in action. He didn't just tell them this was what was going to happen, and they go, wow, you must really love us. He went through with it. It was love predicated upon the most dire of needs, our redemption. Jesus became, or he was, the spotless lamb that, sac- that was sacrificed once for all the sin of the world. In Hebrews, the writer would uh, beautifully pen the, this force that drove Jesus to the cross. It said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. It was for the joy. He knew that there were going to be lives changed. You know what made him happy? Was how happy we were going to be because of the blood that was going to cover us. He was not happy about the whipping. and He wasn't happy about the nails. and He wasn't happy about the humiliation. But he was so joyful and ecstatic over what it was going to produce. And let me tell you, sometimes just knowing what the outcome's going to be, it'll help you endure. Oh, we, we do it every day, uh, every day of the week. You know why you work? Some, now, some people enjoy their work. Don't get me wrong, but some people don't enjoy it. If, don't raise your hand, but if you got a job, you just don't, hey, I wish I had something better, but it pays the bills. So you endure five days a week, 10 hours a day or whatever you work because you know at the end of the week, I'm going to get that check. So it'll help you know, when you can see what's going to happen at the end, it'll help you endure. And Jesus knew this is going to, to draw all men. This isn't going to affect just 12. This isn't just going to be a handful from my hometown. This is going to be the world. This is going to draw all men, people that don't speak this language, people that don't look like us, people that don't do what we do, people that we normally don't associate with. This is going to draw all men. And so as Jesus hung on the cross and the blood streamed down his face and stung his eyes, his flesh hanging from his ribs and the back against that rugged cross and those thorns piercing that brow, he said, it is finished. And in that statement, we can reflect and look back and and realize that it was his love that put him there. We used to sing a song that it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross, but it was that love that held Jesus to the cross. And then we realize as he hung his head and he took that last breath, that love bore all things. It hoped all things. It endured all things. And it did not fail because love never fails. That sacrifice did not come up short, but it washed our sins away. That sacrifice didn't come up short because it gave us the hope and promise of a new life. That sacrifice didn't come up short because it wouldn't be long after that, that in three days later, he'd be rising up from the dead. Let me tell you, love never fails. And in that, uh, in that sacrifice, we see the clarity of the state, statement that Jesus made when he said, to this end was I born. Jesus knew that this was the only destination that he had. 
He knew that his life here was, was, had an expiration date. He knew for the plan to work that he had to go to that cross. And he knew that during this time, I'm going to have to bear some things. I'm going to have to endure some things. One thing that uh, we can see, especially in this day and hour, is that love will endure uh, short-sightedness. We're short-sighted. We don't see the big picture. And that is the temptation in this day and hour for us to lose sight of the big picture of what God is trying to do in this world. The call of discipleship is for us to run with patience the race that is set before us. Not to try to find a shortcut. Run with patience the race that is set before you. Don't try to change the route. Don't try to change the way. Don't try to cheat. Don't try to make it shorter than it is. Just run the race that is set before us. But as humans, we desire the path of least resistance. We want the path that's going to cause us the least amount of pain. And uh, we just want everything. We want to achieve the goal. We want to get to heaven as quickly and as painlessly as possible. But we're going to have to endure some things. You know, I was thinking about this this morning, studying, and that, that word endure, of course, is over and over in the lesson. And, um, and I remembered, and it said that love bears all things. And I thought, you know, we love that scripture that says that with every temptation, God will make a way of escape that we are able to bear it. I can tell you, I believe sometimes it is simply uh, missed. I don't see no open door. I don't see no escape hatch, no window. And the Lord's saying, if you would just use the love of God, you could bear it. Because love bears all things. Every temptation, every trial, every test. Let me tell you, sometimes it's not God snatching you out. It's you bearing it. But with the temptation, he'll make a way of escape that you're able to bear it. Well, if I'm getting out, why do I have to bear it? I'm leaving it behind if I'm getting out. Sometimes I'm going to stand in the fire with him with me, but I can bear it because that love is with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't have to run because the love was in there with them, and they could bear the heat. They could take the heat. They could take the fire. Let me tell you, you and I need to realize that love bears all things, and it endures all things. That's why it is so important. You say, man, we are beating this thought and this, this uh, preaching of love to death this month. It's over and over and over. But if we get it, we can't be stopped because love never fails. Hey, uh, the, the most eloquent of preachers can be stopped. The biggest and greatest church can be stopped, but not his church. Because if he's building the church, I can guarantee you love is in the mix. If Jesus said, I'm building the church, he ain't leaving love out because he knows that love will bear all things and love will endure all things and love never fails. And so I don't want to get short-sighted trying to shortcut my way into glory or shortcut my way into heaven, but remember that Jesus had a plan in it. I'm going to be looking unto him. I've got to remember that he went to the cross. He went to die. You know, that happened 
uh, with the disciples, Jesus began to tell them about the things that he was going to, to suffer and he, the things that was going to happen to him in his life. And, and Peter rebuked him for it. And the Lord said, listen, Peter, in other words, he was telling Peter, you, you, you're short-sighted. All you can see is I'm dying. He said, you don't see the big picture. He said, you savor the things of men and not the things of God. This plan has been around since the foundation of the world. It's God's plan. It don't have any flaws in it. You can't stop me. You can't hinder me. Uh, the only thing, you just want, you like walking with me. You like the things that I do while y'all are around. And, and so you don't want me gone, but you don't realize that if I go away, you're going to do greater things. He don't understand it. He, all he can see is, no way, Lord. Now, I don't think uh, Peter was just trying to be ugly, but he just, he was short-sighted. All I can see is what's in front of me. But Jesus sees the big picture. I got to say, hey, it's got to be more than you 12, fellas. I got a world I've got to save. I've got a, a whole a world that needs redemption. And the only way it's going to happen is with my blood. Jesus repeatedly taught his disciples that discipleship was about saving your soul and not about gaining things here on earth. In fact, after this little episode with Peter, after he had rebuked him, he says this in Matthew uh, 16, 24 through 26. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We must see the big picture. It can't just be about what can I get here? What can I have now? We know that there is another life coming and we need to live our life in the light of eternity, knowing that we have a job to do on this earth. Every single born again believer has been uh, labeled with this tag, light of the world. And if we are the light of the world, we're supposed to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It's not so I can get the slap on the back. It's so that someone will bow their knee to the Lord and, and proclaim him and repent to him and be changed by him. This is for every single disciple. That's why all of us have got a job to do. All of us have got to touch somebody. We're all in contact with somebody. We're all able to speak to somebody. We're all able to pray with somebody who's not in this room today. You know somebody that's not in this building today that you're going to see tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning on your way to work or in your class that you could share the love of God with. And that's what the Lord Expects of us. Love endures all things. The cross is both the symbol and the source of God's power here on earth. J.T. Pugh said this in one of his books, The Wisdom and Power of the Cross. Though Christ has triumphed judicially, his cause will not rise in complete triumph until the work of the cross is finished in the earth. In other words, there's still people to be saved. The work of the cross is still present in earth and it is extended through the commitment of the church. Each disciple must embrace the ongoing sacrificial and life 
life-changing lifestyle of the cross. We must live the life-changing lifestyle of the cross. He, he came to change us. Remember, he could have killed Paul, but he changed him. So many times he could have just took them out, but he changed them because it's not his desire that any perish. And so he endures foolishness. Paul said one place said there's a time where God winked at these kind of things, but now he commands men everywhere to repent. It's time to embrace what he's done. It's time to, to see the sacrifice and let it actually work in our life. We've got to do more than just hear about it, but we've got to let it work in our life. This plan will work. It's not the latest fad of diet plans that might work for some and don't work for others. It ain't Weight Watchers. It ain't, it ain't a 12-step workout plan. This is the plan that God made, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, and it works. It, it, don't, it don't work for some and not for others. The only way it don't work for you is if you don't let it. Be like two people buying one of them box sets of vitamins and cleanses and all that stuff, and they both, both bought it. Well, one of them's taking it daily, faithful. About two weeks later, I've lost 38 pounds, and, man, I feel great. The other one's like, I don't feel no different. Why? Because I ain't opened my box yet. I've got it, but I ain't using it. I paid for it, but I ain't opened it. I ain't took a single pill. I'm just looking at the bottles, hoping I can get better. Because they don't want to put in the time. They don't want to put in the effort. They just, I wish it would just work. I wish I could just be better. But you're not going to just be better. you got to take it. you got to do it. And you can't just read the Bible and hope it jumps on you. You can't just sit in church and hope it jumps on you. But God is calling people. He said, I'm knocking on the door, but only you can open it. It might be unlocked, but I won't open it. And guess what? If you start to close it, I won't put my foot in the door. You've got to swing it open and say, come on in. You've got to find a place and bow down and lift your hands and cry out to me. It, we've got to repent. We've got to make the choice to be buried with him in water. He will fill us with the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for love that endures because we play around. We wait around. We mess around. We put it off. Oh, I got next week. I'll do it next time. I'll do it next. Listen, you don't know what tomorrow holds for our life is just a vapor. But let me tell you, I, I know that the love of God endured me. It endured my rejection of his message. I, I, I heard that message uh, early to believe on him early in my life. And, and, and I rejected this lifestyle. And, and uh, somehow, some way, God spared me through all the things I went through. He spared me through all the, the nonsense that I did, all the places that I went. He spared me. He kept me from dying many nights when I was way too high or drunk to drive, but I did. He kept me one night. I was so inebriated, I fell out of a second-story window and landed on the sidewalk below and just had a little small bruise, nothing really the matter, no broken bones, no, no, no bleeding, nothing, nothing hurt, no internal injuries, just kept me. I drank so much one night, I know that I had poisoned myself. I had drank so much one night, and somehow I did not die. That's just the love of God, enduring some things. I was in places where people were pulling guns and pulling knives, and, and people could have been shot, killed, dead, and somehow I still lived. 
I'm telling you today that God's love endures our foolishness because he would rather see us saved than see us dead. God would rather see us living for him than to see us took out of this world because the Lord knows the impact you can make. You think, I'll never be like Paul. The only reason you won't be is because you say it. You think Paul ever thought himself to be a, anything? He, he, he repeatedly said, I am the least of the apostles. I am the chiefest of sinners. I'm the last behind them all. But I do know what he's done for me. And though I, I, I really don't think much of myself, I will do what he called me to do. Because I know that the love of God endured me persecuting his people. His love endured me standing by and holding the coats of those that stoned Stephen. God's love endured my foolishness. And sometimes we just need to remember that God's love has endured us. And it's time for us to say that's enough playing around. Paul made the statement when I was a child. I believe it was Paul. Said so when I was a child, I spake as a child. Did childish things. He said, but now that I'm grown, I've put away childish stuff. I've, I've put that stuff. By this time, you know, eventually, sometime we got to say, all right, I'm growing up in the Lord. Yeah, we got to quit being uh, little Holy Ghost kindergartners, and it's time to to grow up and graduate and get mature in the Lord. I understand new converts and new new people and things like that, they're going to grow and they're going to come on and they're perfect like they are where they are. But friend, let me tell you, when we've been around a little while, it's time to stop playing around with it because let me tell you, that excuse ain't going to fly much longer. We ain't going to be able to look at the Lord I just don't understand. You've been around plenty long enough to understand. You've, been, you've heard enough preaching to save the entire world. It's time for you to put away childish things. It's time for you to put away things that you are no longer a new convert. You've been around. It's time to get busy doing what I've said for you to do in my word. God's long-suffering and he's merciful and he's going to endure. But let me tell you, I don't want that endurance to ever run out. I want to make sure I'm doing what God's called me to do. You know, we can be like Peter sometimes and we, even though if we lose focus, you know, God rebuked Peter, but he loved him. God will endure our short-sightedness and still offer his kingdom because he said it's still his good pleasure, little flock, to give us the kingdom. But see, we look for the blessings of God, uh, that demonstration of his love to come. You know, we, we think, well, it's going to be financially. Oh, he loves me. Hey, you know what? God's going to bless you. When you give, it's going to be given. Press down, shaking together, and running over. That's word, that's scripture, that's promise. That happens. But that's not the only way God shows his love to people. That's the least of the ways that God shows his love to people. And, and well, he, he's going to show me his love by never letting me have any pain or suffering in my life, even though we know he promised us that in this world you will have tribulation. <laughs> he said that. Jesus said that. There's some things that people... Don't want any. Some, some things that Jesus said, people say, I don't want that in my life. But it's a promise. In this world, you will have tribulation, but he say it would destroy you. He said, listen, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. If I'm going to be in you, you'll overcome the world. You'll be an overcomer too. Love never fails. 
And if he's inside of me through the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. That love just does not fail. Why? When we get this, it's going to be so great. Because uh, the, the, the things of the kingdom of God that we're, we're trying to be a part of, it, it, Paul said, it's, it's not meat or drink. It's not the, you know, the things we can gather together. He said, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Listen, we pray for his kingdom come and his will be done in earth. So that's not praying for heaven itself for the end of time for that street of gold and gate of pearl to show up. He's talking about while you walk on this earth, you walk in that kingdom. You walk in love and joy and peace and the Holy Ghost, righteousness in the Holy Ghost. And that's why down here, up there, yeah, there's going to be peace. But listen, there's really not a need for peace up there because... There's no more crying. There's no goodbyes. There's no death. There's no sorrow. But here I need peace. Down here I need joy. Down here I need that righteousness so I can be saved. And, and that's what happens is as we walk in this life, we walk in that righteousness that is by faith in Him. And we have joy when it seems like we ought to be torn down and torn to pieces. And we have peace in the middle of our storm. And the reason we have that is because that love of God. It endures all things. And that part of that endurance is the peace that comes with knowing Him. Oh, if I didn't have peace, I can't endure it. If I don't don't have some joy, I'm not going to make it through this. But I do have it, and I can't explain it because I didn't get it from the world. I didn't get it from a pat on the back. It came from the Holy Ghost that was shed abroad in my heart. It brought the love with it. And now love bears. How do you bear that? I've got this love infusion from God. When the Holy Ghost moved in, I was infused with this incredible love that comes only from God. And now I can bear it. Now I can endure it. I don't like it, but I can bear it. I may not love it, but uh, the things I'm going through, but he loves me and I can endure this. I'm going to make this. No matter, every circumstance, love will endure every circumstance. Even when we are sinners, even when we make mistakes, love endures and embraces the shameful. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if... if people that have missed God and, and know that they're unworthy, if, if they could not feel the love of God, if they, didn't, couldn't, if they couldn't feel that embrace still, even though uh, they were unworthy, they wouldn't be able to take it. There's a story in the book of Luke, chapter 7. Uh, this, Jesus is invited to dinner at this man's house, this Pharisee's house. And he's sitting there, and uh, here comes this woman. She wasn't invited. She wasn't holy. She wasn't righteous. The Bible says she was a sinner, and everybody in the house knew it. And she comes in behind Jesus weeping, and then she's crying on his feet and wiping his feet with the hair of her head, and she's kissing his feet, and, and oh, oh, the, oh, Simon, not Simon Peter, but Simon in that house, the Pharisees, oh, you know what they did? Exactly what you'd expect them to do. They got self-righteous. They got judgmental. And he looked around and said, got critical. But it wasn't of the woman. You know who they was criticizing? Jesus. If this man knew, if he really was a prophet, 
if he really was something, he would know what kind of woman this is that toucheth him. Oh, he knew, but he is love. He's love manifest in the flesh. And let me tell you, he welcomed that touch from that woman as she would come to the one that could change her. And so he didn't rebuke her. He rebuked them. Let me tell you, love, when you love people that are unlovable, let me tell you, it's gonna, you're going to get battered. You're going to get uh, judged. You're going to get talked about. <laughs> but let me tell you, don't worry about that. Christ's love welcomed that touch, and it spoke up against those who stood in judgment. He did the same thing when they threw that woman down in front and said, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Well, you without sin cast the first stone. Whew, everybody's gone. Where'd they all go? Ain't nobody there but the woman. He didn't run her off. He said, go your way and sin no more. Changed her life forever. Gave her another chance. Let me tell you, I'm glad today that Jesus will take care of us. That, that, that love of God will endure and it will embrace our shame and our sin. And it will take care of us. I'm thankful for it. Love endures uh, uh, selfishness. Love endures pride. Sometimes as disciples, we have to realize that, that uh, we can get caught up in pride if we're not careful because in his day, his disciples saw their discipleship as a pathway to privilege. See, Jesus saw it as a pathway to sacrifice. The Bible says we are living sacrifices. We're servants, and that's the way Jesus saw it, but his disciples saw it as privilege. So, uh, you know, they... Uh, that, that happens in everyday life too. On your job, you'll see, you, you, you know that one person that's always volunteering. I'll stay late. Always taking up, you know, hey, hey boss, anything I can do for you? Just, you know, we're like, oh, look at him, just kissing up and, and uh, oh, goody, goody, that's the boss's pet. You know, we see it in school. Sometimes you see it in church. People that, hey, I'll, I'll go, I'll do it, I'll do it. What you need, pastor? You know, what, what can I do? How can I, you know, and an, Essentially, there's nothing wrong with that unless the motivation is wrong. If it's done with the goal of privilege in mind, I just want the recognition. I just want, I'm not doing it uh, uh, for anything but prestige and recognition and people to see that I'm here doing something. But Jesus said we need to serve in order to achieve the permanent posture of a servant. I don't need to serve so I can be noticed. I need to serve because that's what's right. And I'm not greater than my master. And if he would uh, take on a servant's towel and get down and wash the feet of his disciples so he could show them this is what I came to teach you to do, then we need to all learn a lesson about uh, washing feet. We need to learn a lesson about humility. We need to learn a lesson that we are here to serve each other. Because you or I, neither one, we are not greater than our master. James and John fell into this privilege, pride, trap. Hey, Lord, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. I want you to do, now, hey, well, we want the desires of our heart, sure. Nothing wrong with that. But this desire was, they wanted a place of prestige. Let one of us sit here, let one of us sit here. Well, that messed everybody up. The, the other 10 got all bent out of shape over it because they weren't asking, you know, because they you know, just out of love or just, hey, we want to be your servants. We want to be real close to you so we can do what you, they, they want everybody to see us. If you're sitting here and we're on either side, people are going to think something about us. 
They're going to think, wow, look at them side by side with the Lord. But it, it went against the principle of selflessness that Jesus was always teaching. Jesus declared this, whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever you will be the chiefest, you're going to be servant of all. So he said, you, you want a position? It'll be the position of a servant. Jesus then concluded by noting the loving and sacrificial reason he came. Jesus said this of himself, I came to minister and to give my life as a ransom for many. But you see, Jesus had to endure his disciples because they were learning. He had to endure them going, hey, set me up so people can see me. He had to endure them rebuking him. He had to endure them uh, questioning him. He had to endure that. The theme of service was one that reoccurred in the, in the call that Jesus gave to discipleship. According to him, to be a true, loving disciple, uh, you had to look for ways to serve and not be served. This was demonstrated, again, to the disciples another time. They're, they're trying to figure out who's going to be greatest among them. And so the Lord says, come here. He called them, what are you talking about? They didn't say nothing. They were embarrassed about it. So he calls them together and said, listen, if any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all. Well, that ought to put us in uh, the right perspective. If I'm trying to get so I can be first ahead of everybody, I'm going to end up being last because I'm just trying to promote myself. But when I am working for the kingdom, he said, the same should be last of all and servant of all. You're going to wind up serving, which is fine, which is what I want to do. I want to serve people in this world. I want to tell people about the Lord because it ain't just about me and what I can have in this life. It's what's going to happen later. I'm not taking anything from this world to the next. You and I, neither one, are taking any object from this world to the next. They can put whatever they want to in your coffin with you, that's where it'll stay. Then pictures that we put in people's pockets, all those notes and things, that's sweet and it's loving and it shows uh, honor and things to those people. But guess what? We ain't taking no scrapbook of this world to heaven. We go, all things will be new. It's going to be new life. And look, even as great as we think things are down here, they, they're not great enough to enter there. It's going to be us with him Forever. Among disciples today and in the church, the modern church today, one uh, dangerous, dangerous mentality that exists is uh, consumerism. In other words, most people today view the church as it being there to serve them. Now, definitely everyone wants a church that has programs and has good things that will minister to them, sure. Everybody wants a, a good church, but the church is not designed to just serve us. What can you do for me, church? But the church is where we come to be uh, refueled for our faith to be lifted up so we can go out and serve. This is where we come together for fellowship. This is where we come together to grow. This is where we come to get better spiritually so that we can serve others. And if we're just saying, what can my church do for me? What can my church do for me? Jesus is just saying, listen, I want you to serve. Because, well, people shop churches. 
They want to find a church that fits their need, fits their lifestyle. What do they have to offer me? What can they do for me? But what we need to do is find a place in our church and volunteer. Volunteer our spiritual gifts. Yeah, sacrifice our time, invest our energy, put ourselves last, stay humble before God, understand that every gift I have comes from God, therefore His purpose, therefore His glory. We are called simply to be part of this glorious entity called the body of Christ. Jesus called us to be part of a body. And so we're there to serve each other. Every part of the body works for the body. My hands work for this body. My feet work for this body. My mouth works for this body. My eyes, my ears all work for this body. My heart, my lungs, all the things you can't even see work for this body. And so that's the way it is. We work for one another. We serve one another. We love one another. And so if we, we need to serve. It, it, this will help you when you serve. It'll, it will help uh, from uh, allowing the, a position or a gifting to go to your head. A servant's humble. A servant realizes, I've got a master, and I, I am serving my master. And when we serve people, it, it keeps us from getting the big head, getting that pride and that ego. 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 Yeah. Oh, boy. That's going to be on, ain't nobody filming this one, are they? Good. That'll be on one of the clips. Uh, race it. Well, see, that'll keep, you'll stay humble some way. You'll say something. But we are part of this one body. Paul warned the Roman church members, hey, don't think of yourself too highly. And remember that we're all one body in Christ, every one member's one of another. Paul was an apostle. He was a person of great gifting and influence, and he made it clear to his followers that he was there simply to look out for their interest. This is what Christian ministry and leadership should look like. Finally, oh, I know I'm running quick. Love endures pain and betrayal. This was, a, this was key in the life of the Lord. He's the Lamb of God. He's our Lord, Savior, Deliverer, Healer, so many great things, Provider. And yet he endured pain and betrayal throughout his life. Anyone that takes up the cross to follow Jesus must understand to be a disciple is to lovingly endure hurts. Whether we follow Jesus or not, we're going to endure, boy, I'm having a hard time this morning, endure painful situations in life. Jesus said it would be so. And invariably, those hurts will come at the hands of other people. It happens. And there are three ways that people can hurt us. First, they are hurts of commission. These are situations where people commit intentional acts to wound us. They talk about us, lie on us, stab us in the back, take advantage of us, or just abuse us. In these times, love is put to the test, and then we must, uh, to be wise in these situations, we must look to the example of Jesus. He was beaten and bruised, yet he endured to demonstrate love. Peter described it like this in 2 Peter 2, 21 and 23. He said uh, that Jesus left us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, and neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. Hurts of commission are difficult to endure because uh, they are intentional. 
but Christ-like love will help you endure them. Now, secondly, there are hurts of omission. And these are times when we get wounded not because of what others do, but because of what they fail to do. A spouse may go through this when they do not receive the love and support they need in trying times. Perhaps your friend does not reach out when you are going through a difficulty. Maybe even your pastor does not seem to be attentive when you are going through a trial and you're discouraged. Discouraged hurts of omission, although they are not intentional, they are still painful nonetheless. You ever had anybody say something right there in your presence and, boy, it hurts you bad and they had no idea they even said it? It wasn't intentional, but it hurt nonetheless. Jesus uh, suffered this kind of dis- disappointment. He wanted his disciples to watch with him. I am exceeding sorrowful unto death. Watch and pray while I go and pray. And he came back and found them asleep. Wakes them up. Goes off to pray again. Comes back, finds them sleeping again. He, he, he was disappointed that they could not watch one hour. But he still went to the cross. He didn't say, well, that's it, fine. Nope, I'm not going. Bunch of people that are just going to sleep on me? Mm-mm. I'm not going. He still went to the cross for them. And life is full of circumstances where people may not do what we hope they would do or even what they should do. It happens. But love must endure. And then there are hurts of incomprehension. And these are times when people put us through pain and they have no idea that what they are doing is wrong. Perhaps they embarrass us in front of others while they are correcting us. Maybe a friend or loved one said something that is true, but it still hurt nonetheless. In such cases, they often feel they're doing or saying exactly what needs to be said. We are left, however, in bewilderment and pain. Why did you do that? Well, Jesus was a prime example of that going through pain at the hands of people who lacked comprehension of their wrong. In their minds, they were doing the right thing. When they walked him up that hill, they thought they were doing the right thing. When they nailed him to that cross, they thought they were doing the right thing. And Jesus, hanging from that cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These are people, they don't even realize that I came to save them, came to love them, and, and look how they're mocking me and treating me. They don't understand. So, Father, forgive them. Love will endure those kinds of hurt. And so while we strive in this life and following Jesus to love as he loved, we cannot lose sight of this one single truth that we endure pain for the prize. And this is what, again, what the writer in Hebrews said of Jesus. He said that we must run this, uh, run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our goal, like his, is to be like and glorify our Father in heaven. Sometimes this will mean enduring the cross. Additionally, our goal is to lead others to Christ. Paul said this, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And then he said, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. And then finally, honey, you can come to the music this morning or whoever's coming, whichever honey's coming. I just need to say come to the music, don't I? Because I don't ever know who it's going to be. Finally, 
we endure so we can help others grow in Christ. In fact, Paul rejoiced in his sufferings for the sake of the body of Christ, the church. And if we're going to be true disciples of Jesus, then we must strive for the goal of glorifying our Father, leading others to Christ and helping others grow in Him. Our love must be His love, and that love will endure. Stand with us this morning. I'm sure that many people thought that what Paul received in his life was simply poetic justice. He was so vicious before his conversion and when he inflicted pain and suffering on the Christian church that ultimately it says he suffered the loss of all things. But that didn't happen just overnight. First, he would endure some of the most harrowing and painful of circumstances. Shipwrecked, whipped five times, beaten with rods three times, perils of water, robbers, even his own countrymen. He endured weariness, painfulness, hunger, thirst, cold, and nakedness. And then from his prison cell, he wrote that he had suffered the loss of all things. And although he had misguidedly inflicted so much pain on the church before his conversion, he would also endure much of the same. But he would do so with wisdom and understanding. He he comprehended the process through which God takes a disciple, and he wrote it in Romans 5, 3 3 through 5. But we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When we endure, the love of God by His Spirit is shed abroad. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's not always easy to endure the very word makes us think of the possibility of something very hard and something very difficult, something long, a process that we just don't want to go through. But if we will endure and allow our love to shine through the endurance, we end up reflecting God's love. And in turn, that's how we help lead others to Christ. In the end, that's all that really matters. That's what the church was put here for, for people to be saved showing others the love of Christ and leading them to a saving knowledge of that wonderful Savior. I'm thankful for Him. Let's lift our hands to Him this morning and just thank Him for enduring us. Oh, we thank Him for saving us, I know, but I think today we ought to just be thankful that He has endured us. Oh, God, we praise You today. And I know, Lord, as Paul said, that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. But God, we strive to be like you and we want to serve you and walk upright before you. So Lord, thank you for enduring all of our nonsense, our foolishness, Lord, our, our, our times of, of unconcern. Lord, I pray that you'll just help us now to, to finally put our hand to the plow and not look back. To find something to do and whatsoever we find to do, to do it with all of our might to serve our brothers and sisters, to serve this world as you did while you were here, to see the fulfillment of the plan that one day we too might say it is finished. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. That's new every morning. We praise you for it today. God, we love you. Help us. Baptize us, Lord. Saturate us with that love of God. Thank you for that love today, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Give the Lord a hand this morning. What a great God. What a great God.
Thank you, Jesus. We thank you today. God bless you. Thank you for being in discipleship class this morning. Let's find a place maybe to pray a little bit before the next service. And let's look for God to do some great things. God bless you.